This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I got a bunch of cool stuff to talk about this week and this month's Patreon giveaway, a really cool one. So stay tuned at the end for that. But let's jump right into the news. First up, I want to talk about the RetroTINK 2X video that I just posted. In short, this device is a zero lag 480p HDMI upscaler that accepts composite, S-video, and component. Overall, I really like it, and I think it's the perfect step either before you get an OSSC or if you need extra devices that allow you to get composite and S-video into your OSSC. For $100, it does a great job, and while it's not as good as the open source CAN converter, it is half the price, so in my opinion, at least at the moment, this is the go-to mid-range device. And to be honest, I don't really know of any low-end devices that could work the same way that this does. It's possible that you could use some analog converters, but we'll have another video on that coming up soon. But anyway, uh, I'm just uh, really happy there's another mid-grade solution around. Um, hopefully I could introduce Mike to some of the different video game store owners that might be able to pass these on to customers that could really use something like this. And also, on a personal note, I am so happy that I am finally able to do these reviews the way I want them. I've always been constrained by mostly space, uh, but also time and equipment, and I finally have the tools to do what I need to do. So while, of course, my editing, uh, there's a ton of room for improvement. Huge shout out to Kenji for all the help he's given me so far. Uh, but the rest of it, um, this just goes to show what I could have been doing this whole time. I just really needed the time and the help. But finally got the right equipment um, and the right space to do these things. So I'm very excited. And uh, you could consider this the bar for all the reviews I do in the future. Because um, I really think this is uh, like the bare minimum of what I can do now that I have the tools to do it. So hey, uh, cheers. Here's to uh, a bunch more really good reviews. It's only water this time, but screw it. Sverks on the SMS Power Forum has just started his own test suite that's inspired by our Teamio's 240p test suite. So now you could use a lot of those really great tools if you need to test out your master system on real hardware and on whatever emulator you're building as well. And speaking of the 240p test suite, someone took our Teamio's version and started porting it to the Game Boy and Game Boy Advance, calling it the 160p test suite to match the resolution. Oh, that was kind of funny. But uh, I'm really loving that people are porting this awesome software to all these different platforms because I can't tell you what a huge help it's been in a lot of my testing over the years. So thanks to Artemio for coming up with it, and thanks to everybody else for working on the ports as well. Atari has once again looked like complete morons in the press. This time, they accused the register of lying in an interview actually multiple times. And, luckily, the Register's staff keeps audio recordings of all of their interviews, so they were able to post the original recordings that show that it's actually Atari who was very blatantly lying about everything, and the Register, everything that the Register had written was completely true. 
So uh, obviously this one struck a chord with me, and let that be a lesson to you folks. Always keep your emails, audio recordings, and original material and stuff, because there's always somebody out there looking to screw you over for no reason. I recently talked about a device that you could install into certain laser disc players that allows you to get a raw copy of the disc itself. This device, the Doomsday Duplicator, just had its third revision released with a bunch of new features. This is a completely open source project, so anybody could make their own. And I'd really like to get in touch with the creator to ask him his opinion about these different things, as well as which laser disc players are better to do this. Uh, is there a better one? Can you do this with VCRs? Are there better VCRs? Because are there better ways to read the tape? Uh, there's lots of little questions that I'd love to have answered. So hopefully I can speak to the creator and, and see if I could get a, a good talk about this stuff and see if we could really tap into it and see how close we could get to uh, original bit-for-bit -bit copies, if you will, of Laserdisc in VHS. GameStop is apparently in talks to be bought out by another company. And I'm really wondering, do we care? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Obviously, I never like to hear anybody losing their jobs. Clearly, I just went through that last year. But uh, from a consumer side of things, is this just going to open up the door for more really good quality mom and pop shops? Or are we going to be losing a chance to buy physical media? And is this one more step towards no physical media at all? Which I think is a terrible idea, by the way. But uh, I'm really curious what everybody else thinks about it, because I'm really not sure where I stand on the argument. My buddy Chris just uploaded some pictures of his French Ness, which is outputting a fake RGB signal. It's just composite video converted to RGB. And he put those alongside a Ness that's outputting actual composite video. And it's funny because some of the pics, the composite sharper, and the other pics, the RGB is sharper. So I'm kind of curious to see why that's happening. Is it just the composite to RGB converter failing sometimes? Uh, does his TV have a really good composite video comb filter in? So sometimes it just does a great job cleaning up the image. I'm really just curious to see why, and it's kind of pointless. I will completely admit that. We all know it's composite converted to RGB. Everybody knows it's better to just do an RGB output, but I, I just really want to satisfy my curiosity as to why. Plus, take a look at the French Ness, because it's the only one that comes from the factory molded with the multi-out and back. So I think I'd really like to get one of those to, to put my modded Ness into, so it looks like a stock Ness but outputs real RGB. A Kickstarter project was announced and already funded for something called the Flip Grip, which is something that takes a Nintendo Switch and it can actually vertically orient it. So I think this is really, really cool. Um, there's been a few games that you could play in the vertical position that are arcade ports, but this would also open up the doors for things like Nintendo DS ports, possibly, um, and just a whole bunch of other cool things. The way they orient it, it doesn't block any of the headphone port or anything like that, so it just seems like a really great idea. Um, I'll definitely be getting one when it comes out, and I just hope that a lot of the software developers, or even hackers, really take advantage of it, so it's not just one of those accessories that only has one or two cool uses. The World Health Organization has just classified excessive gaming as a mental health disorder, and this is something I talked about in the interview with Dr. Anthony Bean. And while many people listening might be thinking, like, ah, who gives a shit, what's the big deal, uh, stuff like this could either be a very good thing, where they recognize individual issues and learn how to help people treat them, or it could just be one more thing that gets bundled into things, like the violent video game issues in the 90s, when, you know, uh, that people were basically saying that uh, that evil game Night Trap had a bunch of naked women running around where you try to kill them, which anybody that's played the game, none of that is true. 
And stuff like that really makes me nervous because very often people who classify these things have no clue what they're talking about. So, you know, when they talk about excessive gaming, are they referring to people that go two or three days straight without sleep and do some serious damage to their health? Yeah, I don't think anybody would disagree about that. It's definitely excessive, and it is probably something that people might need help with. But what about the person that, like, Saturday afternoon, you know, gets all their stuff together, fires up a gaming session, and they don't end until early Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon? Is that excessive? Somebody's day off, just treating it the way they want to treat it, still go to jo- have a job, still pay their bills, still act like a normal adult or kid. And uh, so, I don't know, I think a lot of people just pass this stuff off as uh, whatever, but I think being an IT nerd, uh, for years I always forced myself to see what could happen next just so that you could plot out your, uh, you know, your whole designs and stuff like that. I'm sure anybody else that's done board design knows exactly what I'm talking about. So when I see things like this, I don't just think of the short-term effects. I see what happens down the line. So I don't know if anybody's interested in this stuff. Check out Dr. Anthony Bean. He's got a book which already sold out, so good for him. I think people are finally taking notice of these things. Um, And, of course, as always, if you have any questions or concerns about yourself check out psychology today which could do uh, gives you recommendations of people in your uh, in your area that have any kind of mental health counseling but definitely take dr bean's advice if you do that and email a bunch of them because i know a few people that have gone on there and said ah you know i'm not feeling like me lately let me email one person and they either got no response kind of a douchey response or something else so just definitely fire away a few emails and pick which one's your favorite response Console 5 now has stock of Sega Saturn and Genesis 2 AV connectors. These are the ones that go on the end of the cable and go into your console. So if you'd like to build your own cable, now you have opportunities to do so. And I think the Saturn one's actually kind of hard to find, or at least good quality ones. So uh, if you've been waiting on these things, now's the time to pick them up. They also just added new Super Nintendo and Wii ones a few weeks ago, or maybe last week. So now they're, they're really just hitting everything you, uh, you know, every console you can in order to make your own cables. I definitely don't recommend making your own cables unless you're really patient and have some skills working with small connectors, because it's a gigantic pain in the ass. But there are some situations where you need to make your own stuff, um, and some people that just really enjoy tinkering. So. Uh, don't say I didn't warn you if you try it and you get frustrated, but now if you need them, um, you can get uh, a very wide variety directly from Console 5. The Behar Brothers have just opened up pre-orders on their Gecko Box, an HDMI output solution for the Dreamcast. This should be exactly like their Acura Box, except without the scan line function and less expensive. If that's the case, uh, I found the Acura to be a great device in certain scenarios. If you're somebody that just has a flat screen and no CRTs at all, and you just want a solution to plug your Dreamcast into your flat screen and, for, and not have to deal with anything else, this is perfect. You'll get good quality, uh, it does not add any lag, and you'll just overall be happy with everything. But that being said, there's better ways to manip- manipulate the Dreamcast signal. First and foremost, you could just use an open source scan converter and use that to do the HDMI conversion, as well as a lot of other features. Of course, the OSSC is about three times the price of the Gecko. So once again, if you just want a quick and easy solution for your Dreamcast, this might be it. But it is a good time just to remind everybody of the other solutions out there. The Behar Brothers also have a Toro box, which is the one I mentioned, VGA and SCAR output, that I think might be a better choice for most people, depending on your scenario. So I don't really feel bad saying that the Gecko isn't right for everybody, because I am just recommending another Behar Brothers solution. 
Um, of course, also Retro Gaming Cables has teased a new product they have coming out, which is a SCART cable for the Dreamcast that can output all resolutions, including 480p. So if you already have a SCART switch solution and you don't need any kind of scanline function added to it, such as if you're using an OSSC, maybe that'll be the, the best choice for you. And of course, there is the elusive HD Retrovision component cable coming out at some point for the Dreamcast, which might be another better use in certain people's scenarios. So you have a lot of devices to choose from, and the Behar brothers make some good ones. So just kind of pick your target for what you want to do with your Dreamcast and what devices you want to use it on, and go from there. Also, if you've noticed, I had to add noise suppression and a noise filter to this video, because right at the end of the street, somebody just started jackhammering, and it was echoing through the mic, through my apartment, and through my skull. All right, I think I have to keep the noise gate on for the rest of the podcast because there's mayhem going on at the end of the street and it's probably not going to end for hours. But anyway, on a lighter note, um, Dan and Chris have been working on a new GC Video Dual firmware that allows for compatibility with some of the different modes of the Game Boy interface software that Extrems has just been releasing, as well as fixing some of the chroma issues that have been happening in the GC Video firmware, which I believe is a result of the original cables being component, whereas this is direct digital to digital. But uh, links down below for more info, and thanks to those guys for all the great work that they do, and donate right back to the community as open source. Dan is also working... Let's try that again. Dan is also working on an adapter for anybody who has a GC Dual installed in their GameCube that wants to use a Wii component cable to get component video output of the SNES multi-out slot. Now just to be clear, this is not a device that lets you get component from any, uh, any kind of console with the SNES multi-out. This is specifically designed for people that are using the GameCube with his GC Dual installed. So this way you can get just a, a cheap, decent quality Wii component cable, and now you have access to that signal as well. Are you guys hearing this? I love this city, but I live in a war zone. Ugh, definitely time for a beer until all of these sirens go by. And whatever that is too that keeps happening. I don't know, that's not a jackhammer. It might be a concrete grinder. I hope something's on fire. Jacob Proctor has just released an open source design for a SCART to DVII pass-through board, which is designed for people that just want to put SCART cables directly into their Datapath or Epifan cards, or any of the ones that take analog over the DVI port. Essentially, it's a basic version of the one that Voltar designed a while back, um, and for some people, it might be the better choice. With stuff like this, it's always really about the features you need, and um, to be honest, I could probably use both of them. Uh, Jacob was also talking about possibly making some of those breakout boards to go from consoles to VGA or BNC, um, and I'm a huge fan of that. The one thing I just want to remind everybody when you make those, um, just make sure you have feet on the, on the side with the outputs. So let's say this is the console where the SCART port is. Uh, anytime you plug a cable in, you don't want that pulling down on the console's port. You want to make sure that you have the feet here so that when it's pulled down, whatever surface the device is on is taking the stress, not the console. 
but um, if they made these for uh, for those consoles, so you know, you plug a board into it and you get broken out either VGA, BNC with audio and composite, I would probably buy two of each because I think people with setups that have um, that stay stationary, like the one I'll show soon enough when I finish unpacking, um, I don't think that's really a use for those people. I, I think having just basic SCART cables are probably still the best way. But if you're somebody that does a lot of development work or a lot of testing uh, or you're crazy and you just need different devices, then something like that would be a massive and huge help because it could just break out all the inputs you need right there. So while it's not a mainstream device, it's something that I could probably list 10 uses for right off the top of my head. So huge thanks to Jacob Proctor for putting this out open source. Also another shout out to Voltar for open sourcing his design. Um, and I'd love to see more stuff like this because not only is it handy, this is probably a really good beginner soldering project too. Because there's no, uh, as long as you don't need the uh, sync circuit on this one, there's no uh, little things to solder. All you do is put these fairly large connectors on them and as long as you have some flux even a beginner should be able to solder these uh same thing with jacob's board as well so uh, thank you to everybody who keeps putting this stuff out and please keep up the awesome work terra onion has just released a firmware update to the ssd s3 which has a lot of bug fixes as well as the ability to dump your cue cards onto roms on the sd card of the device which i thought was a really cool added feature these guys do make great ROM carts, so all the drama aside, I really never doubted their ability to make this work well as a ROM cart. Uh, hopefully, they'll change their minds and fix all the other things wrong with it at some point as well. A guide was just posted over on Retromod Wiki that shows how to install the dejitter board into a NES RGB solution. So this is pretty cool for anybody that was having issues getting their NES to work with capture cards, TVs, or anything like that. I found the problem to be more uh, prevalent in Super Nintendos, but it's definitely a solution for NES as well. Super G just confirmed the sync on green support for the next version of the G-SCART Switch Lite and described how it would work. For normal sources, if you take the sync switch and turn it off, whatever the sync that's coming through will be passed along. So if you're using sync on Luma or sync on composite video, that will get passed on to the target device. And then if you turn the sync switch on, it's uh, regenerated and cleaned, so it's just basic sync. Whereas when sync on green is being passed through, off sync on green is just passed as is. And with it turned on, it's also separated and the sync is removed from the green line. So this is going to be a pretty handy tool for anybody that wants to use unmodded PS2s in their 480p mode through a SCART switch. But I have a feeling this is one of those things that once we get this tool, we'll find a lot of other uses for it. So thanks to Super G for continuing to put really cool features into his products. And there's still tentatively an August date for these, um, a sale date, I believe. But um, there's no new news on that, and I'll update anybody as soon, or everybody as soon as there actually is a solid date or pre-order that's opening up. It looks like progress has been made to get VGA output from a Wii. Aurelio on the BitBuilt forums has posted about how he was able to pull a VGA signal, but I didn't quite understand the full post. I believe he was able to get the signal out, but it required a software update to the Wii, some kind of hack or BIOS patch or something. 
uh, and I believe that's still working because I don't think the menus work in VGA, just the games. I could have interpreted that wrong, so uh, sorry. You might want to check the link to the forums if this is something you're interested in, but uh, as soon as there's a more final solution, whatever that might be, I'll definitely update people because I have a feeling this is something that, um, while it's a specific use case, could be a help to a lot of people. I know for sure that when I had an XM29, having just a VGA outputting Wii would have made everything a lot easier in my setup. Uh, and I imagine I can't be the only one in that situation. So I'll update anybody when I hear progress. Uh, and if I totally got that wrong, please feel free to, uh, to yell at me in the comments. I, I think I got it right, though. Here's a bit of news that was totally unexpected. Red Guy, the same programmer that added SuperFX support to the SD to SNES, just added SA1 chip support to the SD to SNES as well. It's still a work in progress, and it still would be considered a beta, but he has games working, and it's showing a lot of early but great progress. At this point, he's not sure if you'll be able to do MSU1 audio patches to SA1 games, but that remains to be seen. This is pretty nuts, because there was a lot of people out there that thought that this was impossible to do on the SD to SNES. So it's pretty amazing that both he was able to accomplish this, and that this is just something that he's donating to the open source project for free. So that means everybody who owns an SD to SNES can benefit from his work for pretty much nothing at all other than the original cost of the device. So massive and gigantic thank you to Red Guy for doing all this incredible work. Um, and I'll keep everybody updated on this progress. Uh, just to remind everybody, it's still a work in progress and a beta, but man, holy crap, it's very impressive that it's come this far in such a short period of time. Darksoft just released a new firmware for his multi-MVS ROM cart, and it includes a ton of bug fixes. A lot of people reported that some of the weird glitches and issues they were having were completely fixed by this firmware. So I think it's safe at this point to call it a mature product. If anybody was kind of waiting to see if the bugs were ironed out, it looks like now is the time. To be honest, the last two firmwares I found to be pretty stable, um, and my MVS probably needs a recap at this point anyway, so I wouldn't consider it the most stable solution to begin with. So the fact that the multi-MVS worked as well as it did was definitely a good sign. Uh, Darksoft also teased a few things in this one. Um, at the end of his feature list, he said a special surprise that will be announced in due time together with an AES version. So I'm not sure what that special surprise is. I'm being serious. I don't have like any inside info or anything. I really have no idea what that means. Uh, but that comment means there's some kind of surprise and an AES version coming soon. Uh, to be honest, I'm more excited about the AES version because I just, uh, I'm really looking forward to trying that out on the home console setting because I know there's a few things coming out for the AES pretty soon that I'm thrilled about that I'd love to use in conjunction with this. Uh, but I'm very curious what that special surprise would be. Um, I have a few ideas of what it could be, but I'm not even going to speculate because I'm often wildly wrong with shit like this. So thanks to Darksoft for the great support on this new cart, and I'm looking forward to trying the AES version as well. The team at Eon wanted to warn people that there were some fake devices being sold on eBay. And even some of the sellers chose names that were similar to other retro gaming sellers. I believe one of them even sounded like Castlemania, and no, it has nothing to do with the guys from Castlemania at all. But it's uh, some of them were pretty easy to spot. You know, you can't get a $35 HDMI adapter, um, so hopefully nobody fell for that one. But it's still really disturbing because, you know, it's people that capitalize on anything that's, you know, a new buzz. And it really stinks because I bet, you know, if a thousand people looked at it, one or two might have bought it. So 
uh, you know, please try not to fall for stuff like this. And uh, if anybody wants to buy it, it's available from Amazon, which is like the safest place in the world to getting stuff for mo- you know, for the most part. Um, and if anybody wants to be be sure, there's a link in the description so you can go directly to their Amazon page to get it. Extremis has just added a few other updates to the Game Boy interface software. And the most notable feature that I noticed was that he added analog sound emulation so that you could have the sound output sound more like that of a Nintendo DS's headphone output rather than the very harsh digital output that uh, he's getting doing the direct digital to digital through the GameCube. I actually like the direct digital sound, but audio is one of those things that's totally a preference. And the fact that now there's an extra option for it just makes it even more awesome. If you like it, turn it on. If you don't, leave it off. I saw a post where somebody claimed that replacing the inductor fixed a squealing sound that was coming from their 32X, um, as well as some other audio and video issues they were having. I'd actually seen a squealing 32X at one point, and then the person who owned it said it died shortly afterwards. So this is just another thing to worry about when you start working on those 32X consoles. Um, The number one thing that I always do to it, even if I have one that's working fine, is I take it apart and I reflow the solder on all of the connectors in back, and especially the power connector. That's actually what was the problem with one of mine a while back. So just by doing that, adding some fresh solder, that usually helps a lot of the connection issues. And then the next thing I always do is replace the capacitors because those just seem to go in a lot of Sega products. But for something that only costs 2 or $3 and I could just order with the caps, um, I think it's probably a safe thing to do. I'd, uh, at this point, I'd kind of like some of my electrical engineer friends to chime in and see what they think about at least the specific inductor that he called out. But if this is something um, that at, at the very least can't hurt, you might as well. Um, there's a lot of things like that, like replo- replacing the voltage regulators with the newer ones and things like that, where it might not actually be a fix, but there's nothing nothing bad could come of it. At the very least, you're just taking a brand new thing and replacing it with an old and worn thing. So uh, maybe this is something to add to the list, but either way, I felt like it was worth mentioning for anybody that was having 32X issues. Retro Gaming Cables in the UK has started selling the Extron RCA audio adapters, originally open sourced by Renee of DD Electronics. And I think this is awesome because while I'm massively grateful and thankful for all of the cool open source projects out there, sometimes I really just want to log into a place and buy them without having to assemble them myself. So thanks to Rob for jumping on this. And uh, link is in the description for anybody that wants to buy them. And just make sure to select whether you want the input or outputs because that's a slightly different configuration. So obviously, you know, just buy whichever one matches the ins and outs of your system. Someone is now selling a 3D printed case for the Atari Uno cart, which is the open source Atari 2600 ROM cart. So if you wanted a pretty cool 3D printed case, check out the link in the description and see if it's something that you'd like to buy. Someone on the Atari Age forums has posted lag test pictures of the Sophia RGB and DVI board. That's that kit for the Atari 5200 and the Atari 800 computer. Um, They tested the DVI version and showed that it did not output any lag. So I really, really love that people are starting to get into this stuff. Um, I actually think it's fun to do lag testing, but I'm a a nerd, so that stuff's amusing to me. But I really like how people are actually posting measurable results rather than just saying it doesn't feel like there's any lag. So uh, thanks to anybody that does this stuff, and keep them coming because it's always fun to see. Okay, now it's time for this month's Patreon giveaway. 
For anybody new to the podcast or for any new Patreon subscribers, the last podcast of every month, I announce a product to give away, and then I do a drawing the following week based on a post on the Patreon site, not on this one. So it's a randomly picked name, everybody has a chance to win, and I'm trying to get really good stuff for the monthly giveaways, just to say a thank you to all the amazing Patreon supporters that keep this stuff going. Uh, This month was really unexpected, though. I, I had no idea this was coming. Greg Collins, the guy that does all those amazing open-source 3D-printed designs for pretty much everything you could imagine, sent me a box of stuff and then said he wanted me to include one of them, at least, as a Patreon giveaway. Uh, I had no idea he was sending this, and I think it's absolutely awesome that I get to give this away, but he made a 3D-print design so that anybody adding an HDMI port to a GameCube doesn't have to cut it. You could just desolder the digital adapter, or the digital port, and put his 3D adapter in its place um, that's made to center around the HDMI port. So he sent me one of those with a Pluto board installed in it as well. (laughs) So anybody that gets this will be able to do a full GC video installation in their GameCube using his bracket and the Pluto board. Uh, I thought that was absolutely awesome. I, I really had no idea he was sending me one of these. So just a massive and gigantic thank you to Greg for doing this. Um, whoever gets this is obviously going to have to do a bit of modding to their GameCube uh, or contact a trusted modder. Uh, but I just am excited to give this away because this is very cool and certainly not something I would have expected to give away this month. So if you're interested, post on the Patreon page, not in this YouTube video. Anything short, like I'm in, yes, screw you, Bob, whatever. Anything, um, as long as you post on that Patreon page, you'll automatically be entered in. And the drawing will be next week. So thank you to all you amazing Patreons. And thank you to Greg for this. Because I really didn't expect this. Thanks so much. Well that's it for this week. Before I go I just want to give a shout out to Leon K. Who was in Manhattan the other day. I got to go and eat dinner and have a couple beers with him. So it was cool catching up with somebody I've been talking to for quite a while on the internet. But never met in person. Um, And I really want to do a lot more stuff like this. So maybe consider this a little hint on what's to come soon. But... Uh, I really want to be doing a lot more in-person stuff with, at first, the people I've been uh, working with for years, and then a lot of other people that I really want to meet. So hopefully I'll be having something coming your way soon. Uh, Thanks to all the supporters on Patreon. Thanks to all of you for watching, and I'll see you next time. (laughs) 